Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. But this week, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the heart and a little bit about our, our new identity. And it, it's something that um, a lot of the teaching that, that I feel led to bring is based on and is that who you are in Christ, that new creation identity, living from that perspective of who you are in your spirit toward this world, not gathering information out of this world in your behavior to determine your identity and then try to become something better to get closer to God. Are you with me? It's like, I want to start from the place that God sees me, where I'm connected with God, where I am in spirit, and then live from the, the identity and the power of that place outwardly. Because how many of you know, you can, like, like Tony said, you can never do enough to get there, to get to the place where God needs you to be and wants you to be and expects you to be. You know, I was reading through um, Matthew four, five, six, seven this week, and I was just looking at the whole Sermon on the Mount, and, and you know, there's, Jesus says some things in there that, that are confusing to people. And if you don't understand that he was the last prophet of the old covenant, wrapping it up, bringing the law to a place of impossibility so that you would recognize, I cannot do that. And even in the middle of it, he states, I'm not doing away with the law. The law is perfect and good and holy, but what I'm doing is I'm fulfilling it. He makes this grand statement in there. He says, the law will never pass away until everything is gone, essentially. The law will remain. However, I am here to fulfill it. So he's making the point, the law is not to be thrown away because it's eternal. It's just that I'm here to fulfill it. Now, that doesn't mean that you just run out, you know, people, you start hearing this kind of language, well, you're taking a license to sin. Well, you know what? Read Romans. Paul dealt with the same mindset. And are you saying that we should continue in sin? No. But Jesus says a couple of things in there. And I think he would expect us and desire us to live up to that standard. And that standard being, be as righteous as the scribes and Pharisees. Now, those were the most pious, supposed to be, the most law-abiding you know, citizens of God's family of the time. They were the ones that you looked to to tell you what the law was, right? Like a judge, like you think judges should be above reproach. They're the ones that know the law. We have some attorneys in here. They might tell you a different story, but, you know, not to sh take a shot at judges. That was a little cheap shot. I didn't mean that to be a cheap shot. But you know what I'm saying? It's like... You have this mindset that these are the guys, they're the ones that we're supposed to look to. That's who they were. And Jesus said, be as righteous and as holy as they are. Okay, so that's standard number one. Let me ask you, who's the best person? Who's the best Christian you know? And can you be better than them? That's kind of what he's trying to get you to do, compare yourself. So be as holy and as righteous as the best people you know who he later calls hypocrites, by the way, because he's, you know, he's, he, but he's making a point. And then at the end of that chapter, he says, be as holy as God. 
be as holy as God. Now think about that for just a minute. We're not saying that you throw away the teachings of Jesus. All I'm suggesting is you put them in their proper place. What does that do to you? For Jesus to say, to look, and, and not, just, not just the statement or the command, be as holy as God. But if you aren't, cut off your hand, pluck out your eye, because it's better for you to live eyeless and handless than go to hell for not being as holy as God. Can I say it that way? I mean, it, you kind of have to be familiar with that passage, that chapter, maybe go back and look, but that's ultimately what he's saying. If you cannot live as holy as God, cut off your hand so that you might have a better chance of living as holy as God. I mean, how many hands would you need? I mean, think about it. Y'all hold up your hands. Do you have both hands because you don't believe the word of Jesus? Do you have both hands because you don't take Scripture seriously? But I mean, why do you still have both hands? if we fully believe that what Jesus said is for us today. And it is, but you just have to realize what he's doing. He's raising the level of the law to a level of heart obedience, mind obedience, not just outward performance, but the level of obedience as deep as you can get into the human. That is the level of perfection that God expects from you. Not just stay out of sin behaviorally, but never have an impure thought, never follow that track of lust, never question or be doubtful of God, ever, ever inwardly. You break one, you break them all. Because Jesus, Jesus raised it up to, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Heard it said? Well, that was written in stone. Interesting. But I say, he says, even if you look on a woman with lust, you're guilty of hell, of breaking all of the law. What? That's the standard? Because, you know, you got, this, you got people, well-meaning, sincere, loving, true Christians who will say, well, you got to preach the whole counsel of the word, brother. You can't just leave out the law. Well, okay, okay. You want to dig into your life a little bit? I mean, what exactly do you mean by that? What I want to do with the law is honor God in such a way that I look to Jesus as having completed it on my behalf, given me the right standing that Jesus has with the Father, and then does something inside of me that makes me actually able to live in a way that I couldn't on my own before. So that's where we are now. We're actually in a place now with God where you actually can live under the power of grace and actually stay out of sin in your whole entire being, not just in your actions, but also in your mind and in the desires of your heart. You can live yielded to the grace of God to the degree that Jesus did on this planet. And let's just say, even if from this day forward you were to live completely sin-free, even in your thought life, that still would not be your qualification of eternal life. The blood of Christ 
only would be that qualification. So we, we live in this paradox where we are not held to the standard of perfection where if we don't live up to it, hellfire for you, because hell is real. I mean, it's there. There's kind of a movement that says it's not, but it is. It is to be avoided. And I'm not asking for an amen on that, but I'll probably do a series on that this year. It's been a while since we've talked about that. But, um, but we're in this place now where we have this grace inside of us that actually can empower us to live in a way that we never could before the resurrection. And so that's what we strive for. We strive to live worthy of the salvation that we've been given, not to earn it, but to give glory to God who's given it to us. To respectfully, it, it's like as if somebody were to give you a house or let you live in their house. Are you going to trash it or do you want to make it better than the state that it was in before? You know, I've known people that, are, that have rented. There's this one couple I'm thinking of and this guy's a craftsman, handyman. And it just, you know, this kind of just stands out to me. I'm just thinking about him. And when they rent, his goal is the, to leave the house in better shape than it was when he first moved into it. That's what I want to do with this temple. I, I want to live in such a way that the world around me is in a better shape than it was before I got there because I'm stewarding this righteousness that God has given me. It's not my righteousness, it's His. He chose to give it to me. It's a little bit humbling to say, even Scripture, He who knew no sin became sin so that I could be the righteousness of God in Him. And so that brings you to a place where you can say, I am righteous. In fact, try this. Say, I am righteous. And you can kind of locate where you are in your heart by a statement like that because then you pay attention to your thoughts and what types of qualifications happen after you say a statement like that. So just real quick, one more time, we're going to say it, and then I just want you to listen to your own thoughts. I am righteous. based on what I did last night, <laughs> not based on how I talked to so-and-so when I was on the way to church this morning. But if you only knew, or some people might be like, that's right, I hadn't sinned in a while. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Watch it. <laughs> hey, whoo, pride comes for a fall, you know. No, it, it's, it's, it's a wrestling of back into humility to recognize I am only righteous because He has done a work in me. It's a spiritual work done without hands that I cannot do on my own where He removed the body of sin out of me, put His new spirit in me, put, his, put a new heart in me. You know, you are no longer... Because a, a lot of times when you start talking about the heart, and the Christian world's kind of gotten a little fuzzy on this, when you start talking about the heart, there's a popular... Well, just follow your heart. I don't want you to follow your heart. I want you to follow Jesus. But I want you to make sure that your heart is in the condition where you purely follow Him. Are you with me? There's a difference. And also, when we talk about the heart, I don't want you to go back into this Jeremiah mindset, well, the heart is evil and wicked and deceitful. Who can trust it? Because you don't have, if you're a believer, if you've said yes to Christ, you do not have a wicked heart. You have a new heart. And that new heart is encoded with the laws and ordinances of God. 
That new heart, it's like a new core. It's like a new operating system that naturally runs righteous, that naturally runs holy. You have to, rem you have to think with the old self-mind to behave that way. Because now, as a believer, if you were to yield to your nature, you're nat you would naturally follow Jesus. Obedience from the heart. But the struggle is, we're not told who we are in Christ. We're still led to believe that we're dark and that we're sinners and that we deserve hell. And, and that's true if you were to judge your behavior, but you got to look at what God has done in you. I, I think the most humble lifestyle is to honor God in such a way where you change how you see yourself to match what He's done in you for you and desires to do through you. It's the only hope you really have is to live from that inside-out perspective. Staying humble in the process, recognizing that it's a work of Him. And that's what I want to do when I preach the ministry in this place that comes out of this place. I want you to walk out thinking, man, I, whew, I'm, 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 I'm in a better place with God than I thought I was. But I have a responsibility to not just try to stay out of sin to please God, but to actually live within this state that God has given me. Are you with me? Yeah. And today I have a few passages. I just want to talk about this idea of the power within the, the, the track of the believer is not to try to improve because you can't improve on a completed work, on what Jesus has already done in you. You can only experience what He's already done more. Are you with me? How many of you want to experience more of what He's already He's already given you uh, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He's given you all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, Right? He has delivered you from the power of darkness and translated you into the kingdom of His dear Son. All His promises, no matter how many promises He's made, all His promises are yes and amen so that you would be a partaker of His divine nature. Right? Like all this stuff is already given. If you were to pop, and I, I don't know, I've just been on this thing, I just see this, I'm not trying to wish you into heaven, but in the mindset of if you were to pop out of your body, that's you. You look back at that body and you move on, if that's how it happened. I just know that the part that comes out of this body that moves on, that's eternal. That's who you are. That is who you really are right now. Who you are, that part of you that would move on into eternity. That part of you that were to pop out of this body and move on, it doesn't need to be healed. It doesn't need to give up that porn addiction. It doesn't need to give up that unforgiveness. It is in that state of perfection. It moves on. It is free from sen the physical senses, which is the biggest distraction that we have, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. It doesn't have any brokenness that the soul experiences. It's pure. That, that is who you are. That, when, I, when I'm preaching and, I, and I, I try to keep it in my mindset, that's who I'm talking to so that that person wakes up and says, oh, yeah, I'm taking control of this life. And so that's the plight of the believer is to renew our minds to see ourselves that way, to see ourselves as that entity that Christ has done a work in because that entity can instantly connect to the peace of God. That entity, that, that aspect of who you are can go to the Word of God, 
hold it, it becomes alive, and then affects the rest of your being. That, in, that aspect of you can move around in this earth and display the will of God, which is on earth as it is in heaven. That part of you is not confused. That part of you has the mind of Christ and knows all things. That's who you are. It's who you are. Now, you do still have these carnal minds. You got these brains. You got these five-sense bodies that you got to deal with and wrestle. Bring all of that thought under submission to Christ in you. And that's the fun part. I don't know how much fun it is sometimes, but especially when you've got somebody else in your life and you're both trying to do it at the same time and they keep causing problems for you because, you know, it's always their fault. So just a few passages here along this mindset, you know, and again, this is a review for some of you, but I'm just really bringing it back into this is, this is just kind of the core of what we are trying to do in that remember what Christ has done, live worthy in a way that honors what he's done for us, not taking it lightly, not using it as an occasion to the flesh, not using it as an excuse to sin, recognizing who we are in him and, and desiring to live well to reflect that salvation, that purity that He's given us, right? We, that's what we want. We want to live that way because that just so happens to be the best way to live on this planet. When you live uprightly, it's as if energetically this world is designed to respond to the upright favorably. So Ephesians 4.22, most of these are, I've got out of the, the Berean Study Bible. I've really been liking that translation a lot lately. Um, but so Ephesians 4.22, put off your former way of life, your old self, uh, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. Say new self. New self. I, am new. I am new. Amen. Uh, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self. So what is the new self? What new self? I love this prophecy from Ezekiel back in Ezekiel 36, 26. This is a prophecy about the new covenant that we now know is sealed in the blood of Christ, the, 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 the covenant that we're in now with the Father, this eternal covenant that will never pass away. It's a covenant between the Father and the Son. The fa you can trust that the Father is going to uphold His, and it's not with Israel in that it's with an ethnic people group. It's with Christ. So the eternal covenant is between the Father and the Son. Which one of them do you think is going to fail? Neither one of them. You are engrafted into Christ. You are hidden with Christ in God. So the eternal new covenant that is secured in the blood and the body of Christ, you are in Christ, and He upholds it for you. <laughs> That's good, because I've been really wanting to run out and sin. That, that, like, that's what people think that you go to when you start preaching this kind of stuff. I'm like, really? Grow up. God forbid. All right, anyway. So I'll give you a new heart. And this is as a result of, we know, the resurrection and, and, the, and the state that the believer will be in with the Father forevermore, right? So I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within. So heart and spirit. And this is, we're going to, I've got a few more passages, but I want to wind it down to the idea of heart and spirit. Uh, 
a new heart and a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone. That's that heart that was wicked, that heart that was deceitful. God removed it. Put a new one in there. Why? So that you won't pervert. I've got an image. We'll, we'll get there. Uh, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to carefully observe my ordinances. That, that new heart and that new spirit, which is his spirit, will cause you to live this way, to follow him. Amen? Amen. And then um, this I see as part of an expression. All right, so I'm, let me show you this image here. And you, a lot of you guys have seen this. If you're kind of new to us, we base a lot of what we talk about on these concepts. There's a lot going on in this image here. I, so next week we actually have Nate Tanner coming. He's going to talk. He's going to tell us about uh, his experience in Zambia, going to all those prisons, which we sewed into and helped send him over there. And you're going to get the opportunity to do that again. Amazing work. And you can go with him if you want. If anybody has a desire to, um, you know, travel overseas and do that type of work, he's he's the kind of missionary that likes to take teams and people with him. And so. Next week, if you have a heart for missions and you want to go do some things, come meet Nate, get hooked up, and, and he, you know, he will take you. But, so, so that's next week. But the next couple of weeks after that, I'll probably come back to this. There's a ton of scripture that goes behind the points on this. But in general, uh, if you can't read it all that well, I know it's kind of small, but you've got spirit, soul, and body. And in between the spirit and soul, you have the heart. And in between the soul and the body, you have the brain. Now, th this is just one way to kind of express, to try to understand what types of beings that we are and the, types of connect and the type of connection that we now have with God, right? I, I don't suggest in any way this is the only way to see this, but it it's helpful for me. So he gives you a new heart. And if we can visualize for a moment, the heart is that deeper part of us. I think it's what Ephesians describes as the inner man. I think it's where you know, we see that God pours, in many passages we see that God pours His grace, His life, His light, His love into our hearts. You know, We're going to read that in just a minute in Ephesians where it talks about the, uh, uh, allowing the love of God to be shed abroad in your heart. You know, so then you think about uh, yielding to the peace of God and the peace guards Peace guards your heart. Well, why do you need your heart to be guarded? Uh, on the top here, we just have this passage, I'll give you a new heart, which is quoting what I just read. And on, on the bottom, we have Ephesians 4.23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then on the bottom, even still, there's Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flow all the issues of life. Again, I will submit to you that you are eternally who you are in spirit, even in this moment. That part of you is not getting better. It doesn't need improvement. But that part of you can affect the rest of you. Be renewed. In the original language, Ephesians 4 probably reads more like, renew now your mind after your spirit. It says that renew, uh, be renewed in the spirit of your mind but the original language probably says, renew now your mind after your spirit. In other words, to reflect that spirit side of you. The spirit is one with God. 
Again, these are all scriptural points. I don't have all the references in there, but we'll probably break those down over the few weeks to come. Your spirit and that spirit aspect of you, the inner man is one with God, hidden with Christ. Uh, you've been given the gift of eternal life. You're redeemed. You're righteous, sanctified, purified, perfect, holy. Now, a progressive sanctification mindset would, would live, typically would say, in your body out here, in the, as it relates to the world, you're trying to clean it up a little bit to progress toward sanctification, to progress toward purification. And I think that sanctification is progressive, but it's the other way around. You have been sanctified by the blood of Christ. You have been cleansed properly by the, blood, by the cleansing, washing, salvation aspect of what happens to you that, that, as Colossians 2 says, this circumcision that was performed without hands, it removes that body of sin. So sanctif you, inside, there you are sanctified. There's a couple of ideas you think about. The, uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is has to be sanctified. Remember how they, they, if you're not familiar, you can go back and read it in Exodus. There's great, Exodus, Leviticus. There's great detail given to how to arrange the physical temple on the planet that God would temporarily reside in. That place had to be perfect and holy and cleansed properly with blood. Well, that's inwardly what has happened to you now. For the Spirit of God to dwell inside of you, it has to be uh, in a sanctified and holy state inwardly. Otherwise, the Spirit of God couldn't live in there. You wouldn't be able to contain it. You'd die. I'm, I don't really know that we grasp the degree to which God has changed what kind of beings that we are. To literally be inhabited by God. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. It's like, don't you know that your body is the temple of the living God? Don't you know that the Spirit of God dwells in you? I mean, it's, the, it's like, don't, don't, you, don't you grasp the gravity of what you are? God's in there. In, like it says in Colossians again, uh, in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And the mystery is that Christ is in you. That's the mystery that the prophets, the law and the prophets foretold of that they didn't even understand when they were prophesying of it back then. But the mystery of God, of all that He's been trying to reveal throughout all the ages is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Y'all act like y'all have heard this before. <laughs> I hope it's stirring it up a little bit. I hope it's creating a sense of, you know, because we can hear this, and it's like, oh, yeah, that gives me a goosebump. That's pretty cool. But, but are, you, are, you, are you actually going to align yourself to live empowered by God in you, taking care of your temple, being careful to guard your mind, to... To, to discipline your mind back to display the fruits of the Spirit. Because there is effort. You do have to bring your thoughts captive. You do have to yield your body, right, as a living sacrifice. You do have to put forth effort sometime to avoid the opportunity for sin. I mean, there is work to do in your body, right? Otherwise, you could just... See, because 
Sometimes people misunderstand this presentation and they think, well, if I'm already perfect and holy, then it doesn't matter what I do. Well, that's dumb. No, uh-uh, no. It means you're secure in Christ eternally, but in this world, you still have to bring every other aspect of your being into alignment, otherwise you die early for whatever reason. Or you really mess up your life. I mean, you know, you still reap what you sow. Sin still has consequences. But if you look here, in the world is sin, in the body may be sin, in the thoughts may be sin, even the scars of sin affecting the soul, but that cannot go all the way through to affect who you are in spirit. It can't take away that aspect of what Christ has done inside of you. But what Christ has done inside of you can leach out through your heart into the rest of your being. Out of the, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flow the boundaries or issues of life. And again, it's kind of a subjective type of thing because it's like, it's different for each person. Well, how do, how do, I, how do I yield my heart to the power of this sanctification that is within me so that it affects my soul and it affects my thoughts and it affects my behavior and my actions so that I actually reflect outwardly what is true of me inwardly. That, that we, want to, we want to engage in that process, right? So let's talk about that for just a second. I, I think, you know, it's interesting because these next, this next passage doesn't exactly mention the word grace. And there's a difference between grace and mercy. Mercy is you're forgiven even though you don't deserve it. Grace is unmerited favor, but what grace actually is is a divine influence in your heart that brings ability and capacity and power. You know, there's kind of an awakening of grace, a real heavy focus on grace in some sections of the church, and a lot of the church conflates mercy and grace. Grace is power inside of you. Grace is an ability. Grace is transformative. Grace is like the vitamin C of the Spirit. It strengthens, it nourishes, it empowers, right? It transforms. Grace is not just, well, you know, you messed up and you deserve this, but nah, you know, that's not grace. I, even though this next passage doesn't mention the word grace, I personally think this is the best functional uh, definition, working description that we have of the power of grace. So follow me on this. Um, this is Ephesians 3, and this is Paul praying. I ask that out of the riches of his glory, and I, li I like to kind of meditate my way through this, like when I'm just, when I have time and I just sit and I, so the riches of his glory, I'm just thinking out, out of, so it's coming out of his possession. This is his riches. This is his glory. It's something that God has. This is his asset. This belongs to him out of what he, out of who he is, what he has. I ask that out of his, out of the riches of his glory, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, you kind of, you know, so, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to corner the market on this, but you think about that, that out of his riches, so God out here, he strengthens you through his spirit so that it gets into your heart, all right? Just kind of visualize that picture. I ask out of, the, out of the riches of His glory, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. 
Then you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, wait a minute. He didn't mention love yet. How did love get there? The riches of His glory must have something to do with love being poured out of His Spirit into your inner being. God is pouring love, His love, into you. And what you see is it ultimately brings you to wholeness. We have this phrase that we like to use around here. Um, when you know or experience God's love for you, you will let Him transform you. When you trust His love, you'll let Him transform you. Uh, so that, all right, so then being rooted and grounded in love, and then we keep going, Ephesians 3.18, we'll have power together with all the saints to comprehend the length and width and height and depth of the love of Christ and to know or experience, this Greek concept of know is an experiential, it's not, it's not just information-based, that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And this is, this is kind of the big idea that I wanted to bring us to today, this idea, Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. According to his power that is at work within us. His power at work within us. And, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I like it to be practical. I'm thinking, well, okay, his power within us. How many of you ate, I ate a banana this morning. That was a pretty good choice. Like right now, I'm sure my body is pulling the potassium out of there. What else is in a banana? I don't know. You health people. Good carbs. She says good carbs. My body is working on it right now, right? It's pulling the nutrients out of that banana. It's moving it to, yeah, if you ate donuts this morning, don't feel guilty. You know, <laughs> your body might find something in there. It's all right. But just saying, go with me here. <laughs> Let I me mean, think about that, right? In this moment, right now, your body is designed to extrapolate and assimilate the nutrients out of that food, carry it to the organs that you need, the protein to build muscle, the, the oxygen that you're breathing to go to your lungs, to go to your blood, to refresh and nourish your organs. All of this is happening involuntarily inside of you right now. Physically, you're breathing. Hopefully, you drank some water this morning. Hopefully you're making good, healthy food choices for that temple that you are stewarding on behalf of God to carry His Spirit, no condemnation, but, you know, come on, some of us. Anyway, uh, you get the point, right? Right now in this moment, your body is pulling that potassium out, moving it around to your body. What is happening? I, I, I try to think about the Spirit in term, those same kinds of terms. Right now the Spirit is inside of you. God's Spirit is inside of you. How does our being, our soul, our thoughts, even into our bodies, extrapolate and assimilate the spiritual nutrients of being a host of the presence of God? How, how do we do that? Well, I mean, you know, only really the Spirit of God can walk you through that process, but I think we can have the conversation in a way where we are at least open to being empowered and strengthened by Him unto transformation, right? So, uh, I looked up this word power. It's an interesting word. So, we're talking about this power that works in you. Power is the Greek word dunamis, and it means strength, power, ability. It's actually translated a bunch of different ways in, in the New Testament. Power, mighty work, strength, miracle, might, virtue, mighty, which 
which led me to this passage here. This is Luke 8, 45 and 46. Jesus is walking through the crowd. You know, he's getting, I mean, people are knowing who he is. They're knowing that he's a healer. And then this happens. Jesus says, who touched me? Jesus asked. But they all denied it. Master, said Peter, the people are, a crowd, are crowding, pressing against you. So his mindset is it's kind of an external touch. They're, they're pressing against you. But Jesus declared, someone touched me, for I know that power has gone out from me. What did she do to touch him, right? And we know, if you don't know, this is a woman who had a, a particular blood disease for a long time, and she just thought, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And there's a lot to unpack in that. It's a beautiful story of this woman that just looked at Jesus passing by in desperation and was like, if I can just touch him. But it, there's a different type of touching here than just grazing him as he goes by. There's a different type of touching than just going to church on Sunday. There's a different type of touching than just reading the Bible. How did she touch him? What did she do to touch him? How did she draw on that power? I mean, it, it, apparently everybody had, had the capacity to do that, right? I mean, it was the will of God. Whoever asked him, he would pray for. But this woman did something different because he felt something different with this woman, right? I'm not trying to jump into this kind of word of faith and you all that type stuff. All I'm saying is you can touch God in such a way that there's a different type of an exchange than just recognizing His presence. In fact, I think we, we are subject to the responsibility to touch God in that way. The responsibility to touch God in such a way where power comes out of Him and it has an effect in our lives. Now, it's very practically, it happens as you read the Word. I mean, you know, sometimes the Word gets stale and we read the Bible and, and it, it doesn't touch us. But I, I would challenge you that when you open that Bible or you open that app or however you read, that you're not just reading the words, that you're sitting with it long enough that it touches you. That you, you have the responsibility to let the Word of God move you inwardly, challenge you inwardly, cause you to desire to rise above that state that you're in to reflect what He's done inside of you. Are you with me? And even if, it, you know, because a lot of times we're talking about healing in this perspective. I believe it is one aspect of it. That's what the context is here. But it's also the fruits of the Spirit, patience. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you are impatient? You really drew up tight on that one. I, I just called you right out. I said, don't raise your hand, and some of you turned inside out. I'm learning. Okay, amen, me too. Joy, righteousness, peace. Peace. You know, we can touch him in such a way where there's an actual effect. It's not just in word alone Christianity, where we actually go away from him and there's some type of spiritual nourishment that happens. And I'm not trying to get weird or woo-woo about it, but we see that it happens. Now, we know that his spirit's inside of us now, so there's a touching where we're not trying to 
reach out here to get God to touch our lives, but His Spirit dwells within us. How do we yield to that power that works within us? And I looked at this word touch also. It's the Greek word haptomai. And in this application of the word in this particular passage, it's not just to touch, it's this, to fasten oneself to. So when I, when I, uh, uh, to lay hold of, adhere to, cling to, or appropriate. The word appropriate is interesting. The word appropriate means take something for one's own use. There's like this drawing aspect. Now, I don't know how to teach you how to do that. I don't know how to teach you how to appropriate the presence and the Word of God to the degree that it changes your attitude and it changes your desires and it changes your speech and your capacity to connect to that peace that He has for you above that anxiety. I, I, do, I don't know how to teach you, and I, I would submit no human being knows how to teach you how to go into that intimate place with the Holy Spirit and work these things out. He's the teacher. He's the one that walks you through this process. All we can do in a setting like this is talk about it, inspire one another. I think we can stir each other up at that spiritual level, you know. Um, but in general, you got you to work this stuff out. You got to get with the Word of God and the presence of God and work this stuff out on your own where you have your own mechanisms of yielding to His presence and walking away changed. You have the responsibility to go into that secret place, into that, whatever, however you would describe it, in your relationship, in your connection with Him. Because here's what I know. He is the comforter. He is the provider. When you connect with Him at that level, you can expect to experience His character attributes, who He is. Judge too. In other words, you might get intimate with Him and there's a correction that comes in. You're, oh, I thought this was supposed to be all lovey-dovey and good. And it's like, no, He's like, that? We need to deal with that. Now, He's not punishing you for it because it's already been punished in Christ, but there can certainly be a correction back to righteousness that you've already been given. Amen. I hope so. I mean, I hope so, right? His discipline, though, is not punishment. It's, it's fatherly training back to the right course so that you live well of what He's given you. And I mean, we are in a... God is, God is an emotional being. He has emotions. He, he feels, He experiences where you are. But there's this aspect of touching, you know, so, so this woman did something different. She fastened herself to Him. And th th this makes me think of, you know, anchoring into Christ, that we be rooted in Him, that the roots of our heart go into Him and we're drawing on His nourishment in this relationship that we have. I would say it this way, that you touch God with your heart at this capacity. And, and, and I'm not talking about your physical heart, or, and I'm not even trying to, to, to objectify the new heart that God has given you. But what I mean is that inner being, that deep place within you, where when you get honest with yourself and you get out of your head and you go deep, a lot of us, that, there's a lot of pain and trauma swimming in that depth, and you notice it when you first wake up, 
or when you're going to sleep. Think about it. When you first wake up, if there's kind of this sense of, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about my, my own life and different things I've experienced throughout the years. You know, sometimes you wake up and it's like, you feel like something's wrong. And then you kind of shake yourself out of it and you move on. Sometimes you wake up and, and you feel like, you know, maybe you had a dream and there's fear there. You know, maybe, maybe you wake up and you just, there's just your emotions, there's anxiety, you're kind of all over the place and you just need to get up and get going. A lot of us go to the coffee, we go to the, I'm not saying coffee's bad, I'm just saying it's like we, we do things rather than sitting within that stuff and facing the deep, facing the abyss of what we've allowed to linger in that inner man. You know, we don't, we don't sit and face it and immerse ourselves in it to the, to the degree that we overcome it because we don't know that we can draw on God in that place. You know, these stories of Jonah and even Christ in the depth. There's so many prophetic psalms of Christ in the grave overcoming the darkness, overcoming death. We have to go there. We have to go into that place and be honest with ourselves and, and draw on him in that place so that there's, there's a strength that rises up. A lot of us, are we're looking to the externals. We're looking to a sermon. We're looking to our parents. We're looking to something externally to do something, and finally, it's finally going to click, and then I'll have it. No, you already have everything that you need because God is in there. The only thing the external world can do, a word from a prophet, a sermon, a song, that, that can only confirm externally that which is true of what God and you do and work out inside of here. You're working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not to earn your salvation, but there's a salvation. It's like salvation is tied up in a knot inside of you and you're kind of undoing the knot. It's already whole. It's already there. You're just loosening it up so that you experience it because His Spirit is in there. You lack nothing. You lack nothing. God is not distant from you. He's right there walking with you. He's speaking to you. Jesus promised that when He gave the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would speak to you. He would lead you and guide you into all truth. He would remind you of what the Father had said. He would show you things to come. It's all in that deep place of intimacy with him, surrounded by knowing that he loves you as you honor and respect the finished work that he went through on that cross for you to have, and you live out of that place. Only you can do it. I'm telling you, only you can do it. I sit with a lot of people, and I walk people through these processes, and I only hope that they can get it because I can't explain it. I think counseling can be good. I think deliverance is necessary sometimes. I think inner healing processes, some of them, can be helpful. But only for this perspective that you quiet the external noise so that you can connect what is within. And that is the Spirit of God in you. That wellspring of life. This is Bob comes and prays early, and he was seeing this morning his desire. He said he connected with God's desire that, that, that we would just experience the, the wellspring of life that is in you. That Spirit just rising up inside of you that you can't control, but you can yield to it. That wellspring of life that is eternal. No never-ending supply. 
Can you go there? Can you go there and let him do that type of work in you? Because that is where the victory comes from. That is where the power is. There is a power at work in you. Don't try to connect to it based on what somebody else has done or thinks that they can teach you to do in their seven-step process or their book or their course. I mean, I have books and courses, but only to clean this part up so that you connect here. Are you with me? Man, there's a power inside of us. There's a power inside of us that I pray that we touch. We touch him in that place. So that, so that as you progress and as you just experience more and more of what he's done for you, you just, man, you know, this world has nothing. You're not moved by the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, the lust of other things, the donut or the cupcake or the spouse's overreaction or your boss's abusive behaviors or, or, your, or the whichever president we have, knuckleheaded decisions because they all make knuckleheaded decisions whatever this country's doing with this country, whatever's happening in this region to these particular Christians. I mean, we're, we care about that stuff, right? I mean, we're interested. We want to speak life into that. We pray. Amen. I know that there's Ukrainian Christians right now out in the snow on their knees praying for the peace and the salvation of their country. And we bond our hearts with those people. Our heart breaks for those people. There are people trapped in sexual slavery all over the world, our heart breaks. You know, God sees everything. This is, this is not just so that you can have a nice life. This is so that we mature to the place where we actually walk in the authority that we have in Christ to do something in this planet. Because there is great injustice happening in this planet all day, every day, everywhere that deserves you to get over yourself and grow up and go do something about it. Wait a minute. I, mean, you, I kind of liked you a minute ago. Now you're being mean. <laughs> but that, that's the fruit of it, right? It's not just so that you can be healed and happy and you're, have your little bubble. I, praise, I pray that you have that, but that it inspires you to go into the world. People need you. There are people dying, brokenhearted, suffering around you that needs you to be confident in the power and the Spirit of God in you to give them hope. And then if you're playing around in your selfish, sin-ridden, guilt-ridden, dark world, you are, you are not honoring what God has done in you. But He's not mad at you about it. He desires better for you but He is supplying a grace to you to grow you up, to mature you into a place where you don't stay there. And you go into the world as a hope bringer. And the Word of God in you and the power of God in you will do that if you let Him. Or you can just stay where you are and keep having the same kind of life that you have now. I don't, I don't want to do that. How do we do it? That's up to you and the Holy Spirit to work it out. Go there. Go there with him. Amen? Amen? Just stand up with me if you would. Keep your attention on him. Just acknowledge that he's with you.
If you said yes to Jesus, acknowledge that he's in you. And if you haven't, whether you're in the room or you're watching online as our prayer team comes up, whether you want to come up now or when we dismiss, if you haven't said yes to Jesus and you would like to begin that conversation and maybe even pray today, just come up and meet with one of these guys, one of these women. Father, we just trust you. Just, just keep all your attention on him for just a moment and acknowledge that strength and that power and that spirit that's inside of you. And just again, just say yes to him. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord Jesus. I, I acknowledge there is a power inside of me that I can touch and that I can be touched and moved by. And I willingly yield to your, I don't understand it. I don't understand how your spirit inside of me becomes something that helps me emotionally and physically and gives me wisdom and strength to go into the world and make a difference on, for the behalf of your kingdom. But I see it. I see it in your word that your power is in me, shedding love abroad in my heart. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you love me. I'm willing to let that love bring me to that place where I'm experiencing the fullness of Christ in me. I don't want to limit you, God. I don't want to limit anything that you want to do through me. So I'm willing to let you show me anything that I need to know or leave or change inwardly. I'm willing to be fully yielded to you, Holy Spirit, to not limit you so that you would be glorified and Jesus would get what he paid for. Thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. Jesus, we worship you. We love you. We trust you. We trust you. Amen. I want to leave you with one last thought. <clears throat> it's just something I feel like the Lord put on my heart to do. Um, you know, in, 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 terms of, in terms of giving and generosity, generosity is such a powerful way to teach your heart how to open to Him. Praise God, you are under no obligation at all toward the Lord other than to respond to Him. Amen. He's a provider whether you give or not. But I wanted to leave you with this thought. Proverbs 10, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. I know a lot of us are well-meaning. We want to provide for our families. We want to have more finances to be able to be a blessing to our church and to the kingdom at large and these missionaries and all these works and all these things that we even desire. You know, I, 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 pray that you, I pray that you experience abundance to the measure that God wants you to experience it. Amen? But keep in your mind this. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and He has no sorrow with it. So just, just open your heart to Him. Father, I, I think I don't, I don't want to be selfish. I don't, I don't want to just have stuff. But I also want to take you at your word. You said you desired a nation of priests that you could bless that would be a blessing to the world. So I come into harmony with your desire to just experience your blessing so that I can be a blessing. And you add no sorrow with it. It's not about striving. It's not about my 401k. It's not about my raise. It's not about me trying to leverage my heart to give until it hurts to get you to give back to me. None of that stuff. I just trust that you desire to bless me so that I can be a blessing. And I open my heart to yield to your blessing. 
and I do respond with a gift financially, Father, as you've led me, not out of compulsion, not out of manipulation, but just a response of a generous heart. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be generous. We speak life over every person in this place. Father, thank you for the salvation that you've given us in Christ. Jesus, we thank you for being obedient to the death of the cross. And we thank you for that power inside of us, helping us experience everything that we have in you and leading us into the world motivated by love to represent you. I'm just telling him I trust you and I love you and I yield to your power in me. In Jesus' name, amen.